Welcome back to Chatting to a Friend. I know, I know, it's been, as they say, a hot minute. But this year has just been so crazy. I don't know about you, but all the things put off from the COVID years uh, just all got rammed into this year and I just got a little behind and so I'm afraid the old podcast had to take a bit of a back seat. But we're back and it's a short season. Some of them were recorded quite some time ago, so apologies uh, to my amazing guests. Uh, I think you're really going to love these. One of them is very topical right now uh, and the rest are just as sort of evergreen as you would hope. And I really hope you enjoy. It's a short season three, but season three it is. Today's guest is gold medal winning three-day eventing Olympian Laura Collett, MBE no less, which she's just recently awarded in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. And we have a great conversation about early childhood as a horsey person and how she always knew that horses would be a part of her life through how she made it her job and learning to cope with the difficulties coming back from injury, online trolling, and a whole host of other things. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Hi, Laura. How are you? Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, I'm very good. Thank you. Good. Um, busy time of year for you or not so much at the moment? Uh, yeah, very busy. Um, just everything's sort of ramping up now, ready for the start of the season in March. So all horses are in work and starting to go out jumping and cross-country schooling and lessons. So yeah, very busy. And I've been uh, watching on Instagram and your Olympic horse is having a little bit of a an exciting time back in the show jumping ring I saw in the <laughs> yeah. bit of a bucking and so on. Yeah, he's always um, he's always very jolly after a holiday, and um, because he sort of had an extra long holiday uh, because of the Olympics, he had a nice summer break and um, came back in. So it was a a very long time for him not to be jumping, and he was very excited when he did get to have a <laughs> jump. So yeah, it's kind of in his character, and he's obviously feeling well and pleased with himself, which is nice nice to know. Yeah, because um, what's uh, what, what's the sort of plan for him this season then? Where will you be taking him? Um, well, plan plan A, um, hopefully take him to badminton for the five star. So mm -hmm. um, we'll see see how the first couple of events go, and and that's that's the aim at the moment anyway. Awesome. Now let's go back a little bit because we're going to come on to Olympics and all sorts of things. But I, you started life as uh, in the show pony class. I read. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of show ponies when I was younger. And how did you get into the horses and, and that sort of thing? Did you come from that kind of background, horsey background, or just something you loved? Yeah, not really. Mum um, did it at the odd bit. She used to um, grow up in New Zealand um, and did a little bit of pony club out there, but nothing very serious or competitive. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a bit of a strange one, really, to get into. Mum bought us a pony um, you know, when we were tiny, uh, just as a, a bit of fun and, yeah, fell in love straight away and never looked back. Because it happens that some people get the opportunity to do, to have horses and ponies from a very young age. And I find it with my children being able to ski all the time. There's that sort of, oh, you know, you can't really be bothered. But 
you know, there are people like yourself who just absolutely fall in love. And despite the enormous amount of hard work and dedication it takes, even as a child, to sort of want to stick with it. Why do you think, what was it that you loved about it? I, just, I love, love building a relationship with the horses. And um, I guess even from a young age, I, I always found I got on better with horses and people and just, <laughs> you know, I love, love spending time with them and, um, you know, trying to understand them and, and read them. Um, and, you know, I, I was never very academic at school. So, you know, I never really, nothing took my fancy at school academically and, and job-wise it was never really um, a question in, in my mind as to, to what I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved with horses and work with horses. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I, I had the opportunity to to go down that route and, and luckily it's, it's worked out well. Yeah, and so and you said you wanted to work with horses. Did you have the idea from very I mean you were you won at horse of the year show when you were 13 so it must have been a fairly young idea idea when you were young to be actually on the horse rather than just working with as a groom or a you know the sort of a trainer or that sort of thing yeah um I guess it's all, all, all I've ever done really is ride ride the ponies and for, from a young age we always had to you know buy unbroken ponies um because we couldn't afford ready-made ones so mm. um always always bought young ones broke them in competed them and sold them to make money so I guess from from a young age it was always about um being able to make it work and 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 make money out of it um to, to be able to afford to do what I wanted to do so um it, it sort of progressed from that really Mm. And what, uh, so you, you started with show ponies and you're obviously very successful at that. What kind of moved you in the direction of eventing? Where, how did you get sort of, because they, they're a little different. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I, I got to the stage um, show ring that I, I, I guess I got a bit bored really, wanted more of a challenge. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to event or show jump. Um, all I knew was that I wanted to do something a bit more challenging and exciting than than showing. And I, I, I you know, I'd been very fortunate to have a lot of success in the show ring. So I sort of felt like I'd I'd done that chapter mm-hmm. and I get you know winning supreme at the horse of the year show was kind of the you know, a nice ending. Um, that was when it's all started to move in the other direction. And I sold a pony that I had, um, that I produced a show pony and uh, went out and decided I wanted to get myself a a, a, po- a bigger pony, a 14-2 pony. He ended up actually being Noble Springbok, who um, he was five at the time and, and hadn't done anything um he was actually an overgrown 14 ham working hunter pony they tried to mm. measure him and he didn't measure so he sort of was advertised as a 14-2 potential event or show jump pony so went to look at him and um fell in love with him straight away and joined the pony club and did a bit of everything but it was the eventing that really kind of caught my eye and I think it was the challenge of of having to be good at three disciplines in one, mm. um, and obviously the buzz from going cross country. So that's that's sort of where it started and how I got into it. And when you say you you started at Pony Club, I mean with showing, had you done you know much in the way of jumping before you got sort of got this fourteen two? 
Um, well, I used to do the work in hunter ponies and oh. jumping in the show ring. So I'd done I'd done jumping, but I'd not done yeah. any sort of really cross country. I think I'd done the odd the odd hunter trial maybe. Um, yeah. But yeah, not 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 a huge amount. But it was the you know in the I I, I rode show ponies for. Um, some producers uh, but all, all of mine were always working hunter ponies that I did uh, myself um, because again I, I enjoyed the jumping part of it it was a bit more fun than just trotting circles <laughs> and you know eventing for those the uninitiated it's a little bit in essence like triathlon is for triathletes is that as you said there's three disciplines dressage cross-country and show jumping I think I may have gathered from what you said there that cross country is perhaps your preferred or favorite discipline or have I just jumped the gun on that? Um obviously that's that's the one that you get the most, you know, buzz out of, but if you're if you're on a good horse, a, a horse that does nice dressage and that show jumps well then they're, you know, equally exciting, but um I guess the real, you know, the real challenge and the real buzz is, is the is the cross country for sure. And how do you find a horse that's good at all three? Because they're quite different. Well, certainly the dressage and the jumping are, they're different. And talk to me a little bit about, for those who may not understand, what makes a good horse that can do all three well? Um, I think like in eventing, times are slightly changing recently. Um, it used to be, obviously they used to have the steeplechase before cross countries, mm. very much more of a stamina um stamina test with the with the cross country being the you know the main thing you could go and do a terrible dressage test but if you could go clear cross country you you could still win a big competition whereas mm. nowadays everyone's you know up the game and improved and with the cross country being a slightly different type of test now it's more about accuracy and being being good on lines and technical questions um rather than maybe the rider frighteners that used to be of old mm. um so it's yeah it's very much that everyone's sort of improving all the time and getting better and the i guess they're getting better at breeding the type of horses that we need for eventing so everything's improving all the time and now you've got to you know you've got to be right up there after the dressage and you've got to basically finish on your dressage score so it's mm. you you can't you can't really get away with not being good at all three now whereas a, you know a few years back you you could climb up the leaderboard after the dressage with, with being good at good and fast cross country and nowadays it's just not quite not quite the same and what drove that change because in the sport I work mostly in which is ski mountaineering we're heading for the Olympics for the first time and changes are afoot and it's not always everybody's favorite topic because the sort of the diehards the the people who've loved it from the beginning say oh well it's not the same because you're changing it for tv what drove I mean I'm possibly thinking there's a little bit of safety involved in there but I'm just interested to know what drove that change of direction for eventing yeah I'd say definitely safety has a big um a big impact on it and and horse welfare as well you know looking looking after the horses and you know, it was it was a real you know it was really tough on them um, back in the day when they had to do roads and tracks, steeplechase and cross country all on the same day. And mm. you know, as much as anything, it's about making a nice picture um, for for viewers to watch. And you know, with social media nowadays and everything, you know, you there's a, nothing gets done really behind closed doors. So 
um, everything's in the public eye and it's about making sure that um, horses and riders are, are, um, are safe and, and, you know, paint a good picture really um, yeah. for, the, for, for the sport to, to make it, you know, viable to continue and, and course designers have upped their game and, um, and realised that, you know, riders are, are working harder and, and training more and improving all the time. So therefore then the course designers have got to be cleverer and, and think up more difficult questions that are safe, um, mm. but that are also going to create a good competition. And within, you know, equestrianism, it's something that people talk about a lot when you watch the Olympics or you see it, you know, for people who don't necessarily know about it, this is not just like normal athletes who have to manage just themselves. You have yourself and not sometimes not even just one horse, but a couple, several horses at the same time managing and managing their fitness and their energy intake and output. How difficult is that for people to get used to or what is that what what, what added element is that for a rider yeah well obviously we're we're dealing with looking after a, you know a, an, an animal and and something that has a mind of its own so not quite as simple as making sure your bike is up to scratch and in one piece you know we've we've got to make sure the horses are fit and well and and at the top of their game, it's you can be the best rider in the world, but if you haven't got the horsepower, you're not going to go to a championship and you're not mm. going to be successful. So, you know, we, we're very reliant on, on the horses that we're sat on. Um, and then, you know, they've also got their own brain, which you've got to make sure is working with you and on side. And, that, you know, and then you've got the element that they can get injured or you can get injured. And there's so many different aspects of it compared to you know maybe an athlete who just has to make sure they're fit and well and and their brain is is in gear so we have an extra um an extra brain and extra limbs and extra heart and lungs and everything that needs to be at the top of their game at the right time Mm. and uh, of course riders get very attached to horses that well they own or that they are you riding from from owners what's what's the relationship like between a good horse and rider combo out there competing at the highest level or how should it be basically there's a you know there's a huge amount of trust involved um between horse and rider you know we're we're trusting them to look after us and and do the job that we want them to do um and and you know they they have to trust us we're asking them to you know sometimes it looks like jump the impossible you know these skinnies these days are so narrow and some of the the turns you know they're blind turns and the horses obviously don't get to walk the course so they're completely reliant on what instructions that we give them so we have to make sure we give the right instructions and clear instructions to them um so it is a it's a real partnership it is a partnership because you, you know, as I said before, we can't do it without them and, and they can't do it without us. So we have to make sure that we're very clear in what we're asking them to do and reward them when they do it well so that they, you know, they build the trust and they build the belief in us as a rider um, that we're never going to ask them to do the impossible mm-hmm. um, and that it, it may seem impossible, but 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 it is it is possible. And that's, 
you know, that's what builds a, a good partnership. And you see it, you know, with those horse and rider combinations who have maybe been together for a good few years versus a, maybe a new partnership where they have the odd misunderstanding because they're not quite on the same page and don't understand the buttons and sort of the, the control box, as it were. So, you know, if you get a new horse, it's about finding the the right control panel. Whereas if you, if you had a horse all the way along um, and produced it from the very beginning, you know, you've sort of built in the the control box. So you, you know exactly what buttons to press. And, and that's part of the challenge, really. And when you say produce, so you're bringing on from young and teaching them the basics, I assume. How do you then hand them over to another rider if you once you've built up that sort of basic or, or um, perhaps I'm speaking the wrong language altogether but I hope you get the gist of what I'm trying to say yeah well obviously it's not it's not um it's not an ideal world to have to hand over the reins as we don't you know sometimes you have to sell the horse sometimes the owner decides to move the horse from you you know majority of riders you know because they you know have a relationship with the horse they'll pass on any information they can to the new rider and and be available for any questions that that they might um stumble across really along the way but um yeah i mean the the aim of the game is to really for uh, for us well for me is to produce the horse and and keep the ride and and take the horse all the way through to a championship and and have the reward of of producing a horse and and then taking it to the very top of the game and that's you know that's what we're in it for really Mm. And you won your first five star in twenty twenty, is that right? At Poe? Yeah. Yeah. I got that right. How did how was how did that feel? How did it feel to get to that sort of level? Yeah, I mean it was uh you know, total dream dream come true really. Uh, you know, obviously we all we all dream about winning at the, the at the highest level from a kid and you watch it on telly and you never quite believe that it, it one day it might be you and to 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 win on a horse that I'd produced from from the very beginning um right up from his first first ever event to to winning a five star was was so special and and one of those feelings that you just wish you could bottle up and and keep on a shelf somewhere because you know there were there were a lot of down days and and a lot of sort of ups and downs and roller coaster along the way with horses and the the previous year had been with that horse with London Fifty Two had been a real roller coaster year. He was you know on the upgrade and you know when they're on the upgrade they make mistakes. But he's always a, a very high profile horse, so he sort of made his mistakes in 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 the public eye, which was always very difficult to to deal with. Um, but never lost um, never lost trust in him and never lost belief that he was a good horse and that he could go and prove one day that he was as you know as good as I thought he was and so to to finally be rewarded with um you know just just the the kind of proof really that he was what I thought he was um was you know it's an absolutely amazing feeling and how did it compare to one year later taking him to the Olympics and coming away with the first GB Olympic team gold since in eventing since uh 1972 and um, yeah it's uh like very it's funny it's very different kind of feeling because obviously Poe was just for myself and you, then we go to an Olympics as a team and with the sole purpose obviously there's an individual competition as well 
but the the sole purpose there was um was the team and and we knew going there that we had a very strong team um we had three five star winners on the on the same team which is you know pretty unheard of so mm. we were well aware of the expectation going into it and and when you have a lot of expectation from the outside world then becomes a lot of pressure but uh to actually come out of it with with the team gold that we knew we were capable of, but that you just never quite believe will actually happen, and then you know the fact that it's an Olympic Games is just you know it's it's, it's mind boggling really, um, <laughs> and you know it still still feels very surreal. And you, of course, competed with Tom McEwen and Oliver Townend, and I am interested. Well, people who are listening may not know that eventing is one of very few sports in the world, certainly that I can think of, not that I know all the sports in the world, where men and women compete on exactly the same course, the same level, the same everything. And you always think about riders being, you know, you think about horse mad little girls when they're starting, but, you know, a lot of the top eventers are men. How, how in terms of equality, does it feel like an, a level playing field? Oh, totally. Um, but, you know, for us in our sport, because it's all we've ever known growing up, um, it's it's not a big deal. Um, oh. It's completely right from word go, you know, through the pony club, through everything, every level is is the, you're on a level playing field. So you don't even really think about it. And then, you know, you hear other people maybe outside sports that, you know, go, well, you really compete against each other on a level playing field and you're like well yeah and then you look at other sports and you realize how how rare it is that that we do compete on on a completely level playing field but you know as I said for us it's just the norm so we don't we don't really think about it yeah no because I grew up watching Ian Stark competing and Lucinda Pryor-Palmer who became Lucinda Green and and they were all of a level and so for me I, I I completely see what you mean for me it's not unusual but I hear it is and I think it's fantastic I, 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 yeah I think it's something to be aimed for in many other sports where possible what um oh congratulations by the way on your MBE thank you that's very exciting were you expecting that no not at all um it was a, a big shock but a nice a nice surprise and a very special way to end uh, an unbelievable year, really. Yeah, and so all three of you got an Have you been to the palace yet or to, is that soon? Is that... Um, no, not yet. Um, I think they've got a bit of a backlog because of COVID. So <laughs> it'll be a while yet. <laughs> yeah, probably because the, short, the smaller numbers, I guess, because of COVID. So, we, you know, the highs of winning a five-star, winning at the Olympics, of course, in the background, almost 10 years before that sort of, seven or eight years before that, you had an absolutely horrific accident. Now, I've read that you don't remember anything about it, but maybe you could tell us what everyone else told you happened. Um, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't remember anything from that day, but I have, I've watched the video, so I know exactly what happened. Um, I uh, was riding in a, an intermediate uh, competition at Tweezerdown and the horse basically had a, a full rotational fall landing on top of my head basically so I yeah was very lucky and unlucky at the same time I suppose um, unlucky that it happened but lucky I survived um, I had a, one of the point two air jackets on which the 
all the doctors said um, saved my life because I had pretty bad crush injuries, um, internal um, injuries, but fundamentally I ended up being okay um, after a, a little time in hospital. And um, yeah, lucky I was able to just carry on once I once I was mended, carry on as normal. And I think not not remembering anything, not having any recollection of the day is probably one of the the best things to happen because um, I don't have any flashbacks or any kind of feelings towards it, really. Mm. How was it watching the video? Um, well, I'm a little bit a little bit weird, to be honest, because I think I'd built it up to be a lot worse than it was, and I was almost a little bit disappointed that it wasn't dramatic, <laughs> but then every single person that I've shown it to thinks it's pretty dramatic. So, um, yeah, I think it, 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 was a, yeah, it was a pretty bad pretty bad fall but yeah it for me it, it's it's like watching somebody else because I don't have mm. any feelings towards it um mm. so I I needed to um I needed to watch it because I needed to understand if it had been my mistake mm. just as a you know one of those things really as a as a rider you want to know what happened and avoid mm. the mistake again and you know it, it it was just um you know one of those things that the horse the horse made a mistake and that was uh it happens mm. and you I mean just for anyone who doesn't know you were resuscitated five times in the ambulance uh broken shoulder ribs punctured lung br- uh, damaged kidney and liver all of which hopefully are all fully functioning again but you lost the sight in your right eye is that right no yes your right eye um because a piece of bone traveled up from your shoulder that's absolutely extraordinary yeah one of those uh freak things to happen I guess um yeah the bit of fragment of bone um traveled in my bloodstream and ended up going into the back of my eye um damaging the optic nerve so uh yeah it was a very rare rare thing to happen but again all things considered I'm very lucky to you know, not be paralysed and, and and actually be able to continue with doing the job that I love. So, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was difficult to, to take at the time. But then as soon as you think about it logically, then you realise you're very lucky. And you say you got, got back to the job you love. You were competing again within, what, seven weeks? Yeah, um, I went back to the doctor, had to be signed back on and I couldn't go back for six weeks because of the concussion and the broken bones so um I went and literally on six weeks went back and and got signed back on and competed the following weekend so um yeah it was a a big thank you to um Oaksley House the rehab center the injured jockeys fund um Mm. I was very lucky that um I had some close friends who who got me in there and the world-class program the UK Sport lottery funding um, helped pay for my stay there, and and definitely without them, I would never have got back as as quickly as as I did. So um, you know, they they believe the impossible is possible, and they make it happen. So um, yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to spend my time there. And getting quite literally back on the horse was that? Did it turn out to be the best idea? Yeah, definitely. I I, I never doubted it. A lot of people questioned whether I would and that sort of made me laugh because you know there was never a doubt in my mind I I came out of hospital and the first day I came out of hospital I got back on a horse even though I 
you know I shouldn't have done but for me it's it's what it's it's all I know um and it's all I want to do so it was kind of to be able to to prove everyone wrong and also because for, for me I'd spent you know I spent a week in a coma and then four days in in ICU and hospital and and then came out and that was probably the longest I hadn't sat on a horse for and and that's you know that's just me that's who I am and needed to to get back to doing what I knew. And how was it uh, negotiating fences and so on with only sight in one eye? Um, yeah, it was a it was difficult to start with um, because of the, your depth perception goes. So uh, Yogi Breisner, who's my trainer, um, he said only ride the older horses because they're you know they know more, they're experienced and. they'll help you out if you get it wrong and and that was probably the best bit of advice that I I could have been given because you know I did make mistakes because it for for me it was like the jumps would move um so you've got the you know the the jump would move um or seem like obviously the jump wasn't moving but um (laughs) it seemed like it so uh yeah the horses had to take over a little bit but it was amazing how quickly the body adapts and um yeah after you know, a couple of weeks of, of practicing and trying to not make too many mistakes and, and the horses being very forgiving then got got back into it. And did you even then feel like it wasn't really going to hold you back? Like there, you still had dreams to pursue and, and big goals to smash? Yeah, it was, it was never a doubt. It was a doubt in everyone else's mind, but it was never a doubt in my mind. And, you know, I just thought anyone that thought that I wasn't going to go and pursue what I wanted to do was a little bit ridiculous really (laughs) quite right too um and did you as a rider because you know a lot of athletes work with uh sports psychologists and that sort of thing is that is that something that riders venters any equestrians do or not really um obviously I can't really talk for anyone else I don't know what anyone else does but um yeah, I I um I didn't. Um I do now uh the last couple of years. Um I did I didn't when I had my accident and um I guess when you get a bit older and, and things get a little bit more complicated and having to deal with difficult situations with owners or staff or things like that. Um yeah. that's what I struggled with the most. So um, you know, it was I, I, I talked to someone to help with that side of things but I guess it's more people skills related rather than sports related. Uh, okay. But, yeah. Because you, you went through some tough times after you were not very popular with a lot of people for once you took on the former racehorse. Is it Kauto Star? Is that how you pronounce it? Kauto Star, yeah. Kauto Star, I beg your pardon. Um, and that must have been tough. Death threats and all sorts of awful, awful times. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was pretty horrific. But at the end of the day, I I was doing a job, and I knew I was I was doing a good job of what I'd been asked to do. And for me, the only thing that mattered was the horse. Um, I I didn't really care what other people thought, and it it taught me an awful lot as a person uh, as to what I can cope with and what's important in life, and and the people people show their true colors and and you realize who your true friends are and that you know makes you into a better person I think 
Because the issue was, as I understand it, and it it seems extraordinary to me, but then of course I'm not in the the racing industry, but that he had been given to you on his retirement to see what could be done with him for some, maybe some low-level dressage, as, if I understand correctly. And people did not think that was the the right sort of retirement for such a star racehorse. Uh, yeah, basically a lot of people um, have their ideas as to, as to what the horse should have done. Um, but he he wasn't the kind of horse that would have been happy with being just in a field in his retirement he um he was a very active horse he was still very well in himself and the at, at the end of the day it was the owner's decision and and yeah the he he became people thought they owned him um because he was like the people's horse because he'd been around for so long and he'd he'd been so successful so yeah so racing's a can be a funny game and people I think with social media these days, people forget that what they type and what they write and things like that actually does go to somebody, a real mm. human being. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the things that got said and got well got typed on on social media um, wouldn't people would never have actually said it to my face. Um, and mm. that's where I think it's wrong because if you're not, you know, if you if you're not brave enough to say it to someone's face you shouldn't be brave enough to say it behind a computer screen um so yeah yeah, it 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 taught me an awful lot and I had to be pretty strong and pretty tough but you know it makes you into a better person and when you say it taught you a lot what sort of you saying and you know about who were your friends and and that sort of thing what else what other things did it teach you about how to manage that kind of you know being a bit more high profile perhaps yeah and um to you know to to realize who matters and and who's you know there are an awful lot of people that have a, a big opinion but does their opinion really matter and should it really affect you and the answer is no probably not and and to you know very much focus on on the controllables the things that you can you can control and you can dictate and um you can't, you can't control other people you can't control what they say um so don't even don't even try you know there was a lot of messages that i i wanted to respond to to defend mm. myself but actually the reality was all it would have done was fuel fire and and give them you know give them an argument and and it wasn't worth it they weren't worth it they weren't people that mattered to me and and they can have their opinion and keep their opinion and I I strongly believe that that saying nothing and 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 keeping quiet and just keeping your head down makes it go away an awful lot quicker than trying Mm. to defend yourself and fight your own corner so um uh, you know for for me it was about only focusing on what really mattered and that was that the horse was looked after which which he Mm. was so yeah, I spoke to, I interviewed Cathy O'Dowd, who was the first woman to climb, first South African woman to climb Everest from both sides. I spoke to her quite recently. And two of her trips were quite controversial for whatever reasons. And, and she said, very similar to you, and this was in the days before social media. And she said, you know, I would, I just wanted, even if I had wanted to address every single person's argument and take it up with them personally, I probably wouldn't have changed their minds. So I had to just really hunker down and decide what was important for me and me knowing the truth and the what happened and, and all that sort of thing. So it sounds like a very similar mindset. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so what is next? You've got an Olympic gold, you've got um, uh, pole, obviously, and then so heading for badminton, um, what, uh, what are your expectations there? Well, we always, that's we not an obvious question go, yeah we always go places to try and win so um <laughs> yeah, we'll give it a go <laughs> great um so and uh, lots more uh, so you had to retire your one of your favorites i heard end of last year it must have been very sad for you yeah um yeah it was a, a you know a tough decision but it was the right decision and you know we we have to make these difficult decisions but it's you know the the horses are so good to us and we owe it to them to to look after them and and that's you know that's what happens so um he's he's still here and he's still you know makes makes me smile every day so um mm-hmm. the most important thing really and um I saw recently that you've been working with the Pony Club oh I had a sudden blank there because it was somebody quite unusual I wasn't expecting to see working with Pony Club Martin Clunes what have you been doing with them um I just um yeah uh, went and did a uh, an opening day for the um they've got a new charity um that the BHS the British Horse Society are, are, are running um and Martin's obviously the founder of the BHS so um it was myself and him that went to open this new the the launch of the new I think it's called Pony Stars um which is a you know great idea to try and encourage children more children to get into into ponies and give them a you know something to do and and you know go and make friends and and have challenges um along the way in in that in the horse area because yes it's it's always sort of it's always been a sort of a, I think the idea of people getting into horses, you know, you think you need to have a lot of money, you need to be come from a certain background and, and, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be access because as you've said, you know, they've brought you so much joy. They bring so many people so much joy to have a horse to bond with, to have a bit of freedom on that it really it's, you know, to make it accessible for everybody is such an important thing. Yeah, and that's what they're, you know, that's what they're trying to do, um, is run these centres that that allow, you know, that have the ponies there, so the people that can't afford their their own pony can go to these centres and and let the children enjoy spending time with with ponies and and building relationships with them and and letting them get the understanding of, of what it's like to, you know, to be in in control of a of a pony. So. Um, it's a great concept and yeah I think it's um, hopefully going to be very successful for them. Brilliant and then just one last thing after badminton what 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 else is on the cards this year um, competition wise? Oh obviously a yard, yard full of horses that all have their individual aims and yeah um, the, 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 the big aim will be to try and get um, selected for the World Equestrian Games um, which is in Protoni in Italy um, in September. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that will be pretty reliant on what happens at Badminton, but we'll see. Good. And that's individual? Uh, no, that's team competition. That's team. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed hearing all about it. Um, congratulations again on the Olympics and on the MBE. Very exciting and good luck for badminton. I would like to go back to badminton. The last, the one and only time I went, I was seven months pregnant and it was a deeply uncomfortable day for me. Um, <laughs> I will come back one day and watch you tackle it for sure. 
<laughs> no, that'd be great. Thank you very Good. much. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.